0: I think that we don't understand all the impacts of the pill. Like it's got the psychological aspect, like I said, where you feel like you have to defend yourself, that you've got to stay on it. Um, but it's also literally doing something to you that you don't even expect, uh, physiologically and psychologically. What benefits exist for humanity when we take a natural approach to our own fertility? What challenges
1: exist for society when we don't? And how is living a healthy and responsible sexuality part of our very identity. In today's episode, Executive Director of the Couple to Couple League, Katie Zulanis, shares the physiological and psychological implications of human fertility and how they affect marriages, families, and ultimately all of civilization.
0: It breaks our hearts to watch men and women get married and then postpone pregnancy, and then end up in a position where, you know, unfortunately their fertility is compromised for whatever reason. But it just doesn't increase your chances that the longer you wait, your fertility naturally declines. But there's a concern about how much the environment, everything, from what we eat to what we breathe, everything that we drink, um, is impacting us. We're
1: called to be committed men and women who build up the world through the care and stewardship of our own bodies, the temples of the Holy Spirit. This is Living the Call. Katie Zulanis, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: It's so great to to be here. Obviously, a a very auspicious Monday as well, because you got your wish. The Bengals did win.
0: Yay. (laughs) (laughs) We had a lot of fun with that.
1: The last time that the Bengals won a playoff game, I was, I think, a freshman in high school or something along those lines. It's been quite a while, 30 plus years.
0: Yes, uh, I think my son was
1: uh, not born yet. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, you know, there's always a moment, though, for every. You got to just hold out hope for uh, for teams like that, teams like the Bengals. But it's great to really have you, Katie. We've been doing, um, you know, in some way, shape or form, duality on this show over the course of the last uh, couple of months. We've had, you know, scientists who are incredible sculptors. We've had, uh, you know, virtual reality co-founders who... We're into our into ancient art we've had seminarians who turn into startup CEOs and now we kind of continue on a little bit on that thematic because we've got a software engineer marketer turned natural fertility advocate and leader right so that's a that's <laughs> a lovely lovely duality that we're also continuing with you
0: right Yep, that's me
1: the the um, reality of that is that I think in in some cases or most cases right we all kind of have these these different um you know parameters or facets of our life and our experience that that we live but yours is a is a really interesting one obviously now you're you know executive director of the couple to couple league and you you're kind of steeped and focused on all these areas of you know fertility one thing that struck me about when we talked in our initial conversation though and I'd love for you to chat a little bit about it you said something that struck me and it, and you said no Catholic card, your your Catholic card was not required
0: right. to
1: participate in this conversation. Right. I thought that was really interesting. Explain that.
0: Uh, just that we are aware that we're in the new apostolic age. So we have a, you know, it's incumbent upon us to be able to speak in the society we find ourselves. In. And so, uh, Basically, we just don't start every conversation asking if you're Catholic. We don't start every conversation with the Son of the Cross. I mean, it's that's beautiful, and it's part of what, what we do, but we feel that um, it's a journey. We've really, during uh, Advent, the whole team kind of had a chance to reflect on um, St. John the Baptist and how... You know, he's called the evangelist because he made straight the path. He went out in the desert, right, where people, and he made straight the path. And we just do feel like sometimes the society is somewhat of a desert spiritually. Mm. And we need to go out and we need to help people get their path in, back into to, um, the heart of Christ. And so, you know, it's our job to create those paths, our job to clear the way. Um, and so we've been focusing a lot on that
1: the concept of the desert is a really useful one, which is probably why God uses it so much in Scripture and has used it so much for the history of salvation. One of the things about making paths straight that people, you know, maybe we don't always naturally think about is that you kind of have to go back to that time, right, and realize, well, if you didn't, if you had a circuitous path somewhere, that was actually, like, really dangerous. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you could get, like, you know jumped or attacked at any turn, or you might fall off a ledge or some wild animal might be there, so to have a, a path be straight was like a real godsend in a literal sense because you knew that you actually had a way to get from you know one to the next. I find it interesting too, in this context of 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 natural family planning, fertility, etc, because I think in some cases, maybe we and that by we I mean you know people of faith, people who um you know who look at this issue from from a standpoint at first or principally from you know their religious background M- maybe we've in some cases overcomplicated or overburdened this right this this conversation and maybe put up unnecessary barriers right the idea of maybe we have to start the conversation in this one particular way and not a variety of other of other ways have have you found that in your in your in your work that we sometimes have Go ahead. Yeah,
0: I, I do think it's a, it's a challenge um, I, in two, two respects. Um, uh, one that um, when you were talking about um, a straight path as a godsend, uh, you know, if you look at it, um, we're very much in the digital world. And if you, you can get lost really easily there. So uh, most of our stuff that we're doing is online. So we, we are actually making a safe path so that you don't get distracted. Um, and then mm. the language that we use, you're right. I, I think someone said, took me by surprise the other day and said something about how um, there's a lot of data out there and um, you know, it could confuse people. And they were absolutely right on that. So we do try to uh, make it as uh, straightforward as possible. So for instance, one of the blessings, um, Eric Carrero is a senior member of our staff and he points out, that you know really were called forth from the encyclical, and um, Pope Paul VI called forth uh, couples. He called forth doctors and he called forth clergy. But the fact that it called forth cl- couples is super interesting because it gave his grassroots um, ability to be apostles couple to couple. So that mm. so much so that we have taught over half a million students in fifty years, and that's a huge. Uh, impact. And that's one of the reasons why we have success right now. But what I'm trying to get to is that um, he always points out to me that it's, uh, although we respect and appreciate and we value um, the medical doctors, you know, and we send people to them if there's any issues. Sure. Uh, he reminds me that it's, you know, this uh, take, you know, being aware of your fertility is something that you can do without having, it's not a medical issue. It's a, it's a knowledge about your body. So people in Africa use it. We have people that we, we have a chapter in Africa. We have people, um, all over the globe. And, uh, I had a laugh one time a woman got up and was saying, I can manage my fertility with a pencil, paper, and a thermometer. And she's right. Um, so to your point, like we have to uncomplicate things a bit and, uh, try to really make straight the path, make it, make it easy for everyone.
1: I think that shows in that kind of elevator uh, pitch or what you called, I think to me, your Uber driver speech (laughs) in terms of the simplicity of what it is that you're trying to do. Right. You're you're basically Mm -hmm. trying to help people who are looking for a natural approach to fertility. Right. You're you're. And and to me, that is such a kind of a now thing anyway. I mean, if it wasn't true and timeless and eternal and beautiful, it would be really like uh, just kind of of the day. It would be very trendy right now. To, to have this discussion about, look, ultimately, we're talking about the, the, you know, what makes you who you are, understanding that at its deepest its essence, it ties right into all of these, you know, these movements or interest or enthusiasm around wellness and personal uh, understanding and well-being and all these great movements. And so if it wasn't just, again, true and honest and real, it would be an incredible marketing technique anyway because it's just, <laughs> right. it's just such a great time to actually have that discussion.
0: Yes. Uh, we do find that people are very open to that discussion. Uh, when we approach it, as you were saying, from the meeting conversation, we just, I was in an airport and we were just waiting and the plane was delayed and finally people were just talking with each other cause we had nothing, <laughs> nothing else to do. And right. we're like, what do you do? And it's like, you pull out the Uber driver speech where you're like, well, people are interested in natural fertility and we provide scientifically based training and resources and support for a lifetime of fertility. And then, it's amazing to me how many people will share their story, the story of their kids, mm. you know, and their fertility journeys with you. Um if you just start from that place, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and you also uh, you know, I think tying back to the whole idea of no Catholic card required. You know, I asked you about, you know, the percentages of people who who you've come across over your years of doing this, um either a couple to couple or prior to that when I know you were involved. In NFP and a variety of other things that are related to this, like what percentage of the folks that you've interacted with um, have been Christian or or Catholic? But you know, the reality of it is is that you know these can also this conversation can be an avenue to even even though I'm I'm guessing the majority of the people who you've interacted with have already been you know people of faith on some level or perhaps. Mm But even if they're not, what a great potential avenue of evangelization something like this can be that one naturally comes to. The more I understand about how wonderfully made I am, it kind of points you to the fact like, wow, that's pretty cool that I'm made this way. Imagine you know, this idea of where I came from, who created me, what gave me life. So even if I'm very far from an understanding uh, religiously or spiritually or I'm beginning my journey, this can be a way to dramatically accelerate that that understanding, I would think.
0: Well, it's it's so interesting because it's the very nature of the ministry uh, is that we we actually turn it over to the Holy Spirit. We know mm. that this is good and true and beautiful, and so we know that if you uh, if we do a good job and we share this information with you, and teach you well, that we understand that it's uh, it's very eye opening, and people once they get into it are so moved. So moved by what they've learned, um, they it, it ties directly to natural law. So in our very deepest uh, part of our heart, like we can we hear the echo of God through our own creation, through our own body. So it's the theology of the body come to life, right? So if you actually do this, um, we turn we believe that the Holy Spirit then has a, a better, an easier avenue into talking with you because you it, it's the wonder of creation, right? Uh, is what we're touching on. Um, And so it's and for that reason, we've had, um, you know, like thousands and thousands of volunteers in 50 years uh, have been become teachers and and volunteered their time, given of their time uh, and energy and money uh, to to actually they're so compelled by what they learned that Mm -hmm. they actually um, have had this wonderful ministry that they've established.
1: What would you say are like the common, maybe the, the the most often encountered objections, misunderstandings, misapprehensions about what this actually means?
0: I think uh, the way I would describe it is that um, I might have a column that I write into the garden. And for me, what that means is um, it's so much easier to talk to people once they're kind of uh, put aside hormonal birth control. Uh, when people are on hormonal birth control, if you've ever read, um, I can recommend highly Dr. Janet Smith, and she has a fantastic talk. You can go and uh, download on her site, but it's beautiful. But what it tells you is that when you take birth control, it actually alters you, uh, Mm. physically and mentally. (laughs) And you actually, um, you know, don't attract like the men and women that, you know, I guess men that you, you want to and so forth that are interested in family. And I do find that that's the number one objection. You know, we get people in and they're on birth control and they feel that they must defend that. They must defend that at all costs. And um, it's interesting because even in that, even in that environment, um, our teachers are so loving and so thoughtful about how they just want to share just, just share this good news um, that they literally ask people um, to chart while they're on the pill. And this is interesting, right? Because there are a number of people that do do that number of women Mm -hmm. that will, will do that couples. And what they find is they have a flat line for their hormones and they're shocked and they're upset because they're betrayed because the pill is doing something foreign and taking away their hormonal cycle. And just to see that um, speaks to them. And many, you know, not everyone, but many people do drop the pill um, as a result of our class because they're just feel like something bad is going on now. So it's interesting.
1: And so in those scenarios, when somebody is, um, you know, taking those those uh, uh, contraceptives, et cetera, just so that I understand the point that you made, you're saying that, because you're ingesting something and obviously any chemical we put in us is going to have some kind of effect right to the organism Mm -hmm. that is, is, is ingesting it. That one of the byproducts is the, the sort of the natural, is it, is it like pheromone type stuff? Like where now I'm either not attracting who I should be or attracting the wrong type of things based on what I've now incorporated into my body.
0: Yes. Dr. Uh, Smith would would share that with you on her, uh, her talk, um, it's amazing. And I'm just bringing that up because I think that we don't understand uh, all the impacts of that of the pill. Like it's got the psychological aspect, like I said, where you feel like you have to defend yourself, that you gotta stay on it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but it's also literally doing something to you uh, that you don't even expect, uh, physiologically and psychologically. It's wow. Just I, literally, I literally never
1: heard that. And it oh, makes so maybe. much sense to me just to hear you. I mean, logically it follows, right? Because you're basically, you're kind of triggering, short circuiting in fact, um, what your body, it, your body's telling you something or believe something is happening that isn't. And so mm-hmm. by virtue of that, all the things that are attendant to that are going to start firing as well. And so you're kind of creating like a false reality in a way. Is at least what what I what I kind of hear in my very right.
0: Just giving up the wrong signals. If if we want to reduce it to that, I mean, you know, um, but we're all part of an ecosystem, and so Mm. you know, I think there's a lot of openness to all natural these days, but that's it, right? Like it's you're part of that. You're part of uh, an ecosystem, and every action has a reaction. So you got to live with that. You can't pretend like something's a magic pill. It's not. um... Have there been
1: instances? Katie, where you're, you're, I'm I'm sure this has happened, but I wonder if you might share sort of an anecdote, if there is one, where you're talking to a woman who perhaps has been, um, you know, contracepting or on the pill her whole, you know, maybe even from adolescence and almost took it on just faith that this is just what I do. In other words, like, that it became so commonplace that they almost didn't even see it. Like, it's just part of the fabric of what... I am as a woman, I don't even conceive of it.
0: Yeah. Most, most women do get started on the pill when you're, uh, an adolescent. Uh, in fact, now they have it to the point where they, um, basically tell the parents when they're in the physical with their daughter, you can leave the room now, mom, and we're going to talk with your daughter. And then it's at that point where they offer them contraception, um, and so forth. So we have started, for that reason, um, we've started a mother-daughter area, part of our Fertility Science Institute, and we do have a talk by um, a, a doctor who says, here, if you want to have a healthy relationship for your whole life, here's what we'd like you to do. We'd like to learn, you have you learn how to talk to your doctor. And, uh, you know, moms, you don't have to leave the room. You're not required to, so don't think you are. And daughters, you know, review with your daughter before she goes in. Help her see what her chart looks like. And so we're kind of empowering them to take back that relationship and to to let them know that um, the pill is for acne is, you know, just covering up an underlying problem that's really not going to be the solution. But so many women feel betrayed because they were they were told that this was the right thing. And as a woman who grew up, you know, um, and as a professional, I can tell you that the, the understanding that you have, that they gave you, the meme that was given by Big Pharma was, you're smart. You're smart to use a pill, what's wrong with you? You're just being responsible, you're being healthy, it's stopping acne, it's making your cycle better. You know, this is a good thing, and you're taking good care of yourself, it's healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of that, and then of course, if you feel like that—that that you're trying your best to do your best um, as a woman, as a mom, as a whatever—and you've been told by trusted people that this is a good thing—you um, feel really betrayed sometimes when people talk to you about natural planning. You're like, "Wait a minute, hold on! <laughs> like, if I accept that, then all these other things are..." I was betrayed on it. Well, how come? Why did someone do that to me? So it is a, it's a hard flip for, for a lot of people.
1: It's so interesting too, because I was talking to my wife the other day about this and it, there seems to be very, uh, you know, consensus or rather a universal sense of understanding around fertility in the sense that people who are struggling to get pregnant. Well, mm-hmm. you know, when a woman comes into her fertile moments that, you know, getting, um, you know, the marital act to take place during a particular moment is, is going to be key to, uh, you know, fertility at some point. It makes logical sense. But the inverse doesn't make sense that, well, in infertile moments, um, you know, coming together in those infertile moments is a place to, is, is, a, is a way to, uh, in a kind of ethical, moral way, not procreate. Like, we don't make that the flip uh, case of it, right? It's like we, we, we all understand fertility coming together at that moment is going yeah. to be increase our likelihood of actually, you know, having offspring, but the opposite, mm-hmm. which is using our naturally infertile moments uh, to space or regulate for the right reasons is something that just, it never even comes up in, in sort of typical conversation, but rather it's automatically assumed or filled in by this kind of artificial way of, of foregoing, uh, you know, pregnancy.
0: Right. And it's, uh, what the one of the most interesting things that couples share with us is they use national value planning is it has such an amazing effect on your marriage it's so pro-marriage that I think the latest thing I saw was like uh I think divorce rates fourteen percent they used to say zero percent but it's you know unfortunately that's not true but um but one of the reasons one of the things that you learn is two things I would tell you is one is that um you know, it does foster communication because if you can talk about mucus, you can talk about anything. <laughs> so it's like, you you know, you have to handle it. But, um, but the other part is um, that for at least I can even say for myself, like, because you have to abstain during a certain part, you know, to be responsible, like you said, to do a good thing. Um, then, you know, coming together at, in the infernal, like you look forward to it. You kind of put on it's your it's on your calendar it's <laughs> it's on your chart, and you make time for it. And um, it, it's funny because people that don't have any boundaries uh, about that, you know, very often get lost and they complain. Mm-hmm. And people that like, you know, put themselves to the discipline of being responsible and timing, you know, intercourse so it's it works to support you know the plan God has for their life um, it's, they just, it becomes a real value. So you savor it, you look forward to it. And, and, and that's just psychologically very healthy, uh, for a marriage. It's very, very healthy. Katie, at at what point
1: do you think the narrative, if I'm just to call it that, and I'm not sure there may be a better term for it, but at what point did the idea of this freedom sense of freedom that, the pill and other forms of contraception create for the woman. When did that begin to become like a driver in this conversation? Because it seems to me that that's another thing which has become like a kind of a flashpoint of this whole conversation, certainly in terms of the popular culture, that this contraception is a way for the woman in particular, I'm supposing perhaps both men and women, mm-hmm. to be free. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, at what mm-hmm. point do you, did that? culturally enter into the equation and and can you can you talk a little bit about that uh
0: you know i would say i th- i w- i think it's a gr- it's a growing theme through the through the 70s um and the 80s i think there was a lot i would say in the 80s um about you know women being more prof- you know coming into more professional Uh, And so they did use that meme. They did use that narrative and they did say, you know, if you're on the pill, it frees you up to be, you know, be a career person or whatever. Um, And so I do think that that's grown over the years. Um, And I think the society, I don't know, maybe you could tell me, but I think the society feels like has a really hard time with any limits. It feels Mm. like any limit that you apply, any limit that you apply is simply um, a barrier to freedom. Uh, and so I think that that's not uncommon. I mean, it applies to birth control, but it applies to almost everything else that we're, we see too. Mm. Um, so I think that we're you know, part and parcel of that entire societal meme right now.
1: Yeah. Well, no, it, it, it definitely does feel that way. And um, the irony for me is, though, how far that is from the actual truth, right? The idea that you're somehow free when you have to be consistently ingesting things that are, you know, pharmaceutical, where we, you might have a, you know, aversion to that kind of approach for every other aspect of your life. You might want to be eating very healthy, organic, mm-hmm. working out every day, <laughs> making sure that you're not around toxic environments you're very careful about. And maybe you even have uh, a a bias toward uh you know philosophies or ideologies or organizations that are very much about defending, uh, you know the, the 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 natural order and the environment sure. and all these things. So so on one side we're living all of this reality, um, and and those things are good and we should affirm those things that are good in, in that kind of way of thinking, but on the other side we we have this very kind of normalized uh, you know approach of Of taking these you know these substances and living that kind of lifestyle, which is, in a way directly at odds with what we claim we believe and care and and want to foster in the world,
0: right. So I mean, at the centerpiece of this uh, is that the birth control um and the big pharma and everybody, they separate uh, babies from sex at, at the end of the day. It's babies mm. from, they just it's the big lie, right? And so it's, and so, yes, does the society? in particular, have a hard time accepting a truth. Yes, <laughs> they want to make it a relative truth. Um, but the truth will set you free. But if you can't acknowledge the truth, you know, and say there's an absolute truth in the world, then you're never going to be free, right? You're mm-hmm. always going to be um, subject to all this other. So uh, when, we, when you say uh, sex produces babies, right, um, and that's it. That's the truth. You know then you're at the right place. So when you're practicing um NFP, you're always um, you're always every month looking at sex produced babies. You know, are we ready for a child? Is it responsible? Are we, you know, do we feel that this is a good thing? Now, we would say also that you're always open to life, right? So if God chooses to. That you should have a child, then, then that's a beautiful thing. That's a uh, that's part of your co-creation, your idea of co-creation with him. But um, in the meantime, this is the big lie, mm-hmm. and so unfortunately, the devastating part of that big lie, as you know, is that when you um, when you separate the two, then you say, okay, then I can take a I can take a pill and prevent it. Okay, what happens if you? There's a failure rate for everything. <laughs> You know, NFP has about a failure rate. It's actually better than most forms of birth control. Um, So so there's always a failure rate. So a failure rate, but I have a success rate. I don't know. But there's a... So the, unfortunately, when you have the separation and you don't feel... Then you feel it's not fair that you got pregnant. And then a lot of people will abort their child hmm. because they don't feel it's fair. You know, they did everything right. They, you know, but they... They missed taking the pill one day, or they didn't, you know, or it just happened. I mean, they did everything right, and it still happened. They feel it's not their responsibility, so therefore, I have to have an abortion. So that's the really the most devastating underlying denial of truth that we that we work with, that we are worried about, that we think about.
1: Yeah, and as you bring that up, the subject of abortion, I'm curious if if we were to zoom out right now, though, and kind of look at the landscape that is all things. NFP, uh, uh, artificial contraception, abortion, adoption, etc. If you just zoom out and look at this timeline, let's say starting maybe in the you know 1960 when the pill was introduced, and going through Roe v. Wade in '73, and kind of where we are today with a Supreme Court about to opine on a case that may change things, uh, you know, along the, along those lines. Like, where are we in this timeline? Like, d- you know, if you were to say, hey. Today, we're, we are better here, worse off here, neutral in this particular area. Like, how would you summarize this whole conversation? All these things are related to my mind, right? Contraception, mm-hmm. abortion, et cetera, NFP, mm-hmm. uh, people's willingness to look at natural family, anything. All of these <laughs> things are related. But wh- where is that timeline? If you were going to talk to somebody who's completely uninitiated and say, here's where, here's where things are at, how
0: would you, how would you describe that? Um, I guess, from my perspective, uh, I have a couple uh, good reflections. Is that we hear that I can share with you that there's been a beautiful outgrowth of uh, Saint Pope John Paul II's T.O.B. Uh, theology of the body, T.O.B. Uh, and we see more and more couples that we that come to us that are have learned that, and for that reason, they know they understand the truth that sex equals babies and so there's mm-hmm. they start from a position of truth which is a blessing um and so we we see a lot more of that going but at the same time um you know we see a lot of people like i said society in general wanting to make their own rules and you know that's uh, i don't know that's ever going to stop maybe that's always been there but um as far as in a timeline um i think um we're maybe as bad offer as worse as we can ever be like, cause there's Ooh. all like, cause I think that like the internet, uh, virtual reality, I was thinking about the other day, I'm like virtual reality, how far can you, but you know, uh, you know, all the, the stuff we deal with, it can't, it needs to be in person. <laughs> your marriage has to be in person. You know what I mean? We can teach you virtually, but we can't, you know, your yeah. marriage is in person. And so, um, do I think that there's, that there's going to continue to be, um, that same, you know, uh, danger that people continue to have virtuality, fool themselves, right. Make up their own reality. Yes. I still think that's there, but I do. I'm always surprised and I'm always heartened by the number of people, as you pointed out earlier in the conversation that are really the natural law echoes in their heart. Yes. Beauty. The beauty of nature is a way that the, the Holy spirit speaks to us. And it, you know, it just does because we're, 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 beautifully and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God. So we know our home, we understand our home. We just have to have some, you know, help each other as brothers and sisters to remember where our home is and encourage each other. But there's um I'm always heartened by people that um pick boot camp. <laughs> Cuz I'm like, who would pick boot camp? But if you pick boot camp, <laughs> yeah, on purpose. <laughs> pay for it no less. Um but people that pick pick that um show a real a real spirit of um wanting to be heroic right wanting to do the best wanting to be the best and um and and that's that echoes throughout our our soul so there's always hope and there's in some respects uh every action they tell me even equal and opposite reaction so the crazier we get on one side you know there is a there's a boomerang effect right um the you know the devil's lies don't hold up well to light you know what I mean they just
1: don't it's almost like the 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 crazier things get the the contrast becomes starker yes. between that natural inclination right the words of St Paul in Romans saying that you know people who don't have maybe the walk of faith still are know in their hearts naturally that to which they should you know, the, the things that they should be doing. That principle gives me a lot of hope, frankly, when I think of things, the the rapid development of technology. You as a software, former software engineer, I mean, I'd love your thoughts on things like the metaverse, et cetera. But, you know, when I think of where this thing is going, basically anything we can imagine, at some point the technology has arrived to enable us to do the thing we can imagine. Like that's kind of where we are in human history right now. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine the, things getting more things becoming more possible, right? Something like the mm-hmm. metaverse makes it possible not just be online, but to be like transported somewhere and interact with people in almost a quasi- real way. And mm-hmm. so like the prospect of bad behavior opens wide up, but it does <laughs> give me some um, some hope that as 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 those things accelerate, it would seem to me that th- that the contrast between, you know the the thing the right and wrong can also become more 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 pronounced and therefore kind of give us a stronger inkling in an ironic way back to what the truth actually is. At least that's my hope.
0: Yeah, I think when you when you get uh, the devil always pushes it right. So yeah. the, you get so far in and then it and then it just hits your heart as ridiculous. It's your sense of the ridiculous kicks in. And you're like this is stupid, you know, and you know it because you're built you know, in the image and likeness of God. So eventually, you know, it, it you know, there's it, devil always overplays his hand. I don't usually talk about the devil, a lot, but it, it does. And and the overplay heightens our sense of the ridiculous and our sense of the ridiculous saves us. Right. Cause then we can go, well, that's silly. You know, it just mm. doesn't make any sense anymore. Um, but yeah. And I always as much as the metaverse, as much as I, um, you know, I'm sorry for the the things. It's still a tool. So my my favorite reflection on that is to think, oh, maybe someday I can make like a metaverse so that we could envision the communion of saints at the consecration. So we could see all the angels and saints surrounding us. Wouldn't that be beautiful? You know what I mean? So I do think that it's a tool, and tools can always be used, whether it's you know, pen and paper mm. to metaverse, uh, for good or evil.
1: Have. Ha- has the perspective of men evolved in your time that you've been doing this ministry? In other words, w- men in general, I think, are at least either—one e- of two things. Either we view ourselves as an afterthought to this conversation, or in some cases, maybe we are an afterthought to the conversation, even though we're not. We're intimately bound into this conversation. Obviously, that's kind of the point of your underst- of a fullness of an understanding of what uh, you know natural fertility is. But— Has there been an evolution in the way that men perceive their role in this, in your time doing it?
0: I think uh, men have been a little bit less embarrassed as we go on, because now everybody talks about everything all the time. But um, from its very inception, 50 years ago, Couple to Couple League was called forth from the encyclical, where it says couples should be apostles to other couples. So a very unique gift of Couple to Couple League is coupled, is men and women, men, because nobody else teaches men and women, we teach men and women, um, so that's at our heart and our core, and um, those strong men uh, who can handle this conversation, right, become lights for their family, and become, uh, we have male coaches, uh, and they talk about issues that are important to men, you know, um, there's, unfortunately, um, there's been a a fifty percent uh, decline in um, fertility uh, in the past few years. Uh, really? So I forget. Yeah. Um, and it's very scary, um, and we're we don't know, and so don't you know? I I don't have, but you know, we wonder. Um, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, birth control ends up in the um, in the in the water system. So the estrogen. So we look at uh, Boulder, uh, Colorado, and they, you know, the poor little frogs there don't have a gender anymore because uh, I've heard of this. Yeah, all the estrogen in the water. So we don't know uh, what impacts um, artificial birth control is having on on everybody, a society as a whole. But um, we do worry about that, and we do, you know, we do. We consist of men and women uh, in our ministry, so we do care about both men and women, mm-hmm. um, both of our fertility and and how we work together. Um, we have outreach programs that we're doing for mother, daughter, and so forth, but it, at our heart is always been and always will be um, the marriage, uh, which is men and women together.
1: The environmental impact is really fascinating. I hadn't heard that stat. I he- had heard other things, and I don't know if it's conjecture or maybe just people theorizing, but there, there's also been at least I th- I think I've read some pretty significant uh, drops in testosterone levels um, for men. And I definitely have, you know, no- normally I- I'm a business person, marketer, you know, you come from that background as well. And I think looking at venture capital activity is sometimes a good barometer to see where things are headed. And there's been a ton of investment in wellness and all kinds of stuff, especially um, you know, sexual wellness and things mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, ED and a variety of things. And these these new companies kind of out of whole cloth and apps and all these different things. And a lot of them t- uh, targeted to millennial men or younger Gen Z men. And I and, and to my mind as a Gen Xer, I go, well, wait a minute, why are we talking to millennials and Gen Z about ED and all these things? It's like, well, there's like a new reality, but if you follow the money, you see where a lot of the emphasis is. Those guys are making bets because they see an opportunity there.
0: Right. Um, I think that I shared with you that uh, uh, the current projection for Femtech, so um, market is $50 billion by 2025. That's amazing. Um, and that's just one part of it. As you put out, there's a, there's a lot of aspects to this. Um just referring back, like when I say a 50% decline in fertility, there's lots of ways to define that. There's, uh, as you pointed out, like, so there's, um, you know, there's just lots of ways to measure that. So I just want to preface <laughs> that mm. there's uh, a number of factors going on there, um, with it, but, but you can see the decrease in, um, you know, childbirth, uh, in Europe to the point where they're, they're giving incentives now to have children. Um, and And you can see, and it breaks our heart, uh, it breaks our heart um, to watch um, men and women get married and then postpone pregnancy and then end up in a position where they you know, unfortunately, their fertility is compromised for whatever reason. Uh, mm-hmm. But it just doesn't increase your chances that the longer you wait, uh, your fertility naturally declines. Um, but as you're pointing out, there's a concern about how much the environment, uh, everything from what we eat to uh, what we breathe, everything what we drink um, is impacting us. I'm not sure we know the end of that story. I just would say there's lots of studies out there. If you're interested, you know, it's definitely interesting to, to read through them.
1: The example that I always bring up, you know, it's harder now because more there's more and more cars that are electric. But the example that I always bring up is, you know, the idea of putting in a certain kind of octane gasoline in your car. We never for a second bat an eyelash at the notion that a higher octane will drive better performance in our car when a car's engine is a significantly less complex organism (laughs) than our own. But oftentimes we don't stop to think about, you know, the effect that environmental, nutritional and other things have in our own body, right? When the Mm -hmm. evidence is so clear that it can have an impact in a much less sophisticated, you know, organism. Um, Mm -hmm. But it it is true that all the things that we put in us um, have some effect. And, you know, there's, I'm sure, varying theories as to what that actually means, but there's something going on that we have to pay attention to. And And I guess, to me, again, that's the good news that people at least seem like the aperture is open to try to learn more about... Myself, my body, my well-being, my mental health—all these different things—and so, to me, at least, maybe that's the the positive end of this kind of pop culture moment we find ourselves in, because mm-hmm. it can lend itself well to the, to that kind of conversation. Correct. Right. Right. I, I I did want to ask um, a question about you know we talked a little bit in our initial conversation about you know headwinds, right? Some of these things that are out there that that make the message, the ministry, the conversation, you know, a bit more difficult. And we've talked about that. I want to ask you specifically, and and I hadn't thought I was going to ask you this, but the more we talk about it, the more interrelated they they seem. What do you think the implications are on this entire uh, natural family planning, procreation, contraception conversation uh, with the outcome of the Supreme Court? Let's say the Supreme Court, with Roe v. Wade, decides to significantly curtail what has been the law of the land since 1973? What do you think? What are the implications of that? Someone in a, in your position, I'm sure, thinks about this on some level. What would be the implications of this conversation if the court does significantly curtail or perhaps even like rescind some of the the permissions of Roe v. Wade?
0: You know. Uh... One thing I do know is that the bishops that I've heard have asked everyone if if it does get rescinded, that everyone needs to step up and really help out with pregnancy centers. And I agree with that. Um, there'll be a lot more need. Uh, for us, it's uh, both an opportunity and I think a risk a little bit. Um, right. People, uh, you know, people are op- open to and letting us uh, speak in the free market I do have sometimes ads that are turned away. Um, really, you, you yeah, wow. and you know that's always a you know a thing that someone can say. Um, you know, we have scientific studies. We're very very careful, very very careful to only. We have a a directory on Fertility Science Institute of providers. Uh, so it's doctors and nurses and doulas and um, and fertility awareness instructors of all different types. Not just uh, not just CCL, but everybody. And we're always very, very careful that it has to whatever who's ever on there has to their stuff has to be scientifically based. In other words, we have to have a study to show that it works um, and we have to understand that someone's doing it. And they're certified. Um, so I I think that's really important. But I I understand in this day and age that people can be censored unfairly. So I do think that some people get inflamed by by this. So, you, you know, there could be a backlash to say, um, you know, of discrimination against, against uh, people who are faith-based, mm. uh, which is unfortunate, but it's also, I think I was thinking about it, when you were talking about it, I was thinking the, the truth that the s- sex produces babies, right? <laughs> One of the blessings that we have is uh, whether you come to a, a lot of people come to us in our classes of getting ready for marriage and uh, they come to us in their classes and they're using hormonal contraception or contraception. And so it's, it's a blessing that we're able to say the truth to them, as you were saying, like, we just say that truth, and then you get to handle it, you know what I mean, Uh, we're not part of the panacea of just, just telling you that's not true, and don't worry about it, and you're being a good person by, you know, following along, so um, I have to say, that's probably the only opening I can see with the Roe v. Wade, like, we, you know, bringing the light out into the, and having you work with it, Mm -hmm. is a blessing right it Mm -hmm. seems harsh to some people because they don't like because they've been betrayed because they've been told a falsehood so they don't like to let go of that uh feeling of uh that they did the right thing uh they liked you know so no one likes that but at least we would have maybe the opportunity to say it and and to say it loud you know and to support the the women and the men but the women who show up at the uh fertility clinics um pregnancy
1: centers. Yeah, it is. It is clarifying for sure, even though you could think of it as like ripping the bandaid off. But to start from that basis point, it's like, hey, look, we're going to just say the truth right now, kind of get that out of the way. And then yeah. we got something to build on. I can completely understand that because there's so much narrative, so much marketing, so much packaging of the subject of um, procreation, really, around a variety of things, Um, that can sometimes form people's entire entire identities. So they feel like, well, I can't even engage in that conversation because I somehow now have to have these other uncomfortable conversations. But at some point, getting down to ground zero of that and saying, look, here's the way that you want to call it nature, you want to call it God, you want to call it whatever you want to call it. This is the way things work. And if Mm -hmm. we start from that vantage point, at least we have a common ground to build on right, no matter where mm-hmm. we end up. I think it's also really interesting that you said that about the implication that, you know, there may be some, some you know, tough stuff coming. I, I tend to agree with you. I think that if we do, it, you know, the law is obviously is immoral, the, the Roe mm-hmm. v. Wade, and it should be struck down or, or you know, at least severely uh, curtailed limited. But nevertheless, I kind of feel that things are going to, at least on the near term, Get significantly more heated, significantly more um, pointed, perhaps following something like that, and our response, especially people of faith, not just people who happen to practice NFP, but our response needs to be how more can I help, what else can I do, how else can I be there because I think it's going to be you know a little bit of a of a whiplash if, if that does yeah. happen
0: yeah I, I I sense that it will be. I just read some of the commentaries and I'm just like my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes nobody likes it if you if you if you're you know on the uh, you know catatonic and you know going along and you're just being you know being fed these lies and you don't like being startled into hey that's not how it works you're like yeah it is because everybody I mean isn't that the crux of society right now we've gotten to the point where you know you people feel like they're in control of their destiny they stand yeah. in the place of God right and that's the, the that's very true. That was, you know, Lucifer and, and St. Michael, the archangel, right? It was Lucifer said, I'm like God, you know, like that's, I think the real danger in society. You know, we're just, uh, kind of, uh, not little by little, let alone. And, and we feel empowered and, it, and we feel justified that we can control everything. Uh, you know, so it, it's a danger.
1: Yeah, and consequently, when you're controlling everything, it also dramatically ratchets up the anxiety because you feel that, gee, if for whatever reason I can't control something, then everything's going to fall apart and you end up throwing all of that on your shoulders. And boy, haven't we seen a crisis of anxiety in, 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 in culture, especially young people. I mean, yeah, devastatingly exactly. high numbers.
0: Yes, it's, it's absolutely horrible, yeah. So I guess, uh, yeah, when we have we're NFP, we're, you know, we deal in truth and uh, it's it's good for you
1: <laughs> absolutely well look I'm, I'm I'm very hopeful in the business world we call if, if it were to be rescinded or or, or, or removed entirely we, in the business world we call those quality problems right so if yeah of course there's probably going to be a backlash but we're starting from a better place than than what the current uh, status quo is um, Katie you know time goes by quickly on this show as you can mm-hmm. imagine we're, we've been talking for a little bit before we get to our final segment though um i wanted you to share if you might with the audience a little bit about um you know couple to couple league things that they can you know follow resources sites ways to stay in touch ways to be informed about all the different things that you all are doing and then we can proceed to our final segment of wait what
0: sure we have um Two sites. Uh, so one is in English, one's in Spanish. So that works well. <laughs> so we have ccli.org. You can get from one to the other. Um, but uh, ccli.org is public, public international stands for. Uh, and so we, right there, we have uh, three buttons. You can get uh, sign up for a class. We teach online, and we teach in person, and we teach uh, on a webinar basis. Uh, we also have coaches, so if you're having cycle issues, there's, you can just do a free consultation with one of our coaches, and they can help you uh, maybe suggest some nutritional uh, strategies that you can follow, or a class that you can take, or um, some other resources. Um, and then finally, we have uh, Fertility Science Institute as our new site, and it has classes from mother-daughter, um, mm. and soon father-son, all the way to uh, perimenopause. And so we have resources, um, that help you through the entire, your entire lifetime of fertility. So, uh, that's, we're developing that more as we go, but we've always, uh, had those classes, uh, to help people. Uh, the other thing that we have is, uh, Liga de Um, uh, mm-hmm. so that's, um, for a Spanish, uh, speaking audience and, uh, which is international and, on there again, you can sign up for a class that's a webinar class, so live in person, uh, live online, uh, and then we also have one that's self-paced, so you can sign up and you know follow along, and then talk to a coach uh, to interpret your charts uh, and check your charts, and we and you can also text somebody directly from there. You just hit the text button and get in touch. Um, so those are those are resources I wanted to share so people can uh, get whatever they need.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, we'll include uh, the link to CCLI.org, the fertility science institute liga de Pareja.org, and even that Dr. Janet Smith um, article we'll include that in the show notes so that people Thank can you. use those as references. And Katie for you know from my standpoint obviously um, you, you know a great admirer of this ministry and of your work in it and you know I wish all of God's prosperity on it to continue especially as we go through some of these kind of new moments perhaps in our culture uh, coming up here imminently, it seems. So um, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. Are you ready to play, Katie? Wait, what?
0: Uh, probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Yeah. Katie, we're going to start because I'm in a good mood because the Bengals won. Okay. So we're we're going to start with an easy one. Okay? Thank you. <laughs> so here it goes. Which of these, you're originally from Connecticut, right? Correct. Okay. So which of these is false, about your birth state of Connecticut. Is it A, Connecticut must love their booze because they were the only state in the union that never ratified prohibition? Is it B, the largest Catholic fraternal service organization in the world was founded in New Haven, Connecticut? Or is it C, hamburgers, America's favorite sandwich, was invented in Connecticut? Which is false. False. Uh, Hamburgers, C. Sadly, that is incorrect. Actually, hamburgers (laughs) were invented by a man named Louis Lawson in 1900 at a lunch counter uh, in Connecticut. Now, the correct answer is A. Connecticut actually is one of only two states that didn't ratify prohibition. So it is true that they didn't do it, but they weren't the only one. Rhode Island... Rhode Island, their next-door neighbor, actually didn't as well. I know. See, I say easy, but they're really not. They're Katie, not come really. on. Otherwise, I'm having yeah. other, I'd have no fun putting these together. All right, yeah. but you're nevertheless you're doing great. How about a fill-in-the-blank question? All okay, right. It. Here goes. Now you're, you're um, currently in Cincinnati. Correct. Right. Okay. So the cathedral of your home city in Cincinnati is the beautiful St. Peter and Chains. I've actually been there. What a beautiful place, by the way. I mean, like unbelievably beautiful uh, 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 church. The cathedral is, is called a cathedral, of course, because it's the local bishop's own church. It's where his cathedra is, where his chair is. But it is also, St. Peter in Chains, since 2020, when Pope Francis named it, it's also a basilica, okay? And okay. basilicas are named basilicas because in it, they all contain a blank, a blank. And I'll accept one of two answers,
0: Katie. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <What>? <laughs>
1: <laughs> any uh, guesses?
0: Any guesses? A crypt? <clears throat>
1: no. It might actually have a crypt. I don't know. But that's not that's not one of the answers.
0: Okay. Um... Gosh,
1: I have no idea. Um... Do you know that little, there's like this little multicolor kind of umbrella that mm-hmm. sits in the cathedral somewhere? Yeah. That little umbrella is called an umbrelino, okay. and it's a distinctive symbol that basilicas have throughout the world. It basically is a symbol of the Pope's authority, and that's oh. what basilicas contain. Oh, so okay. any basilica anywhere in the world has an umbrelino. And interesting about that term umbrelino, it's also strangely, it's the prayer that exorcists use before they begin in their ministry is called the umbrelino oh. prayer. So um, that's what makes a basilica a basilica. The other answer is a little bell that's called a tintinnabulum which okay. is also in basilicas. But, you know, I had I to really look that one that. up. Believe me, we've never got <laughs> that. Katie, hope is not lost. Never fear, because there's always a time machine question. So you get, you're bound to get this one right no matter what, because it's open okay. source. It's whatever you want it to be. And this one, Katie, is a little bit of a doozy. Okay, so bear with me. Here we go. You get a chance to travel back in time to Massachusetts in 1950. All right. You happen upon a man named Dr. Gregory Goodwin Pincus, someone you may know as the inventor of the birth control pill. Yikes. Now, Pincus has been studying the reproductive system of mammals for many years and was very interested in the topic of infertility. His interest along the way was, let's say, influenced by a chance meeting of his own with Margaret Sanger, the eugenist and founder of Planned Parenthood, who eventually facilitated this big grant for him that enabled him to develop the first human trials for the pill. Now, because you're an astute student of history, you know that Pincus is going to be meeting Sanger the following year, 1951. So you've got some time to make an impact on this scientist and perhaps prevail on him to consider some other perspectives that might inform that upcoming meeting. So the question is, what, if anything, Katie, do you choose to tell him?
0: Uh, I would choose to talk to him about um, the Negative implications of, of trying to stop a natural process, and you know, make sure. I would just warn him to make sure that um, anything that he trialed would be done ethically, because the first mm-hmm. trials were not ethical and killed people. And uh, I would just just tell him, you know, you know, you, you know what you're doing, and here here's here's the problem. <laughs> you're gonna kill people. Um, and you know, just let him understand the implications of what, of what that means.
1: Well, that I think would be a very, uh, potentially successful approach given the fact that he was a scientist and probably would respond well to, you know, some hard data and some hard facts about what these trials could potentially do. Who, who knows? We may, we'll never know, but at least the, the exercise was, was a good one. So Katie, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Privileged to have you. Thank you for coming by. You're welcome Anytime. And uh, please continue to doing the good work that you're doing well, out in the world.
0: Thank you. We love your uh, love your show, and we appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Well,
1: that's great. So, if you're hearing Katie and my voice, that's a sure sign that you need to hit subscribe on this show and share the show. This episode, in particular, to somebody who can list who would who can benefit from hearing it. Um, we've had an incredible conversation and we know that the goodness that is within that conversation is there to benefit a whole host of people and that happens when you share. So we ask you to do that and we'll be here again next week to bring you lots of more conversations on Living the Call. If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the Call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's C-A-L-L-U-S-A usaorg Living the Call is produced by Manu Kasten and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you and thank you for listening.